Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Kyrgyzstan's relationship with Russia has really been up and down since Russia launched its full-scale war on Ukraine. In late February 2022, just after Russia had recognized the independence of the separatist Donbass and Luhansk regions in eastern Ukraine, the Kremlin press service quoted Kyrgyz President Sadr Japarov as saying the move was quote, the responsibility of Kiev for the failure of the Minsk agreements, unquote. The day after the Russian military crossed into Ukraine, Russian Prime Minister Mikhail Mishustin was in Bishkek meeting with the chairman of the cabinet of ministers, Akobek Chaparov. Akobek Chaparov passed a message to Mishustin from President Chaparov that quote, that said, quote, we have been with Russia for 200 years and are ready to stay with Russia for 300 more years, unquote. Those statements were made in the hours just before and after Russia started the war, started a war that many felt would be over quickly and end in a Russian victory. Obviously, that did not happen, and not long after, it became clear the war would continue for months, if not years. The Kyrgyz government clarified it was neutral in what was happening in Ukraine. But in recent weeks, there's been a flurry of news concerning Kyrgyz-Russian relations that includes Kyrgyz companies helping Russia circumvent Western sanctions, but also news about Moscow questioning Kyrgyzstan's domestic policies. What is the state of Kyrgyz-Russian relations at the moment, and what factors have led to the current relationship between the two countries? To discuss all this, I am joined by Bakit Bashimov, formerly a member of the Kyrgyz Parliament, a Kyrgyz ambassador to India and to the OSCE, and currently a global studies and international relations lecturer and professor at Northeastern University. We have Emil Joroyev, PhD, an independent political observer who, of course, people know from many, many different organizations he's worked with in the past, and Medit Tulaginov. Senior Research Fellow at the American University of Central Asia in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, also the author of many articles uh, on events in not just Kyrgyzstan, but in Central Asia. Thank you all for joining me. And first, I want to go back to late February 2022. And Bikit, let's start with you. None of the other Central Asian governments made statements about the war right after it started, except for the except for the Kazakh foreign minister who said Kazakhstan would not recognize the independence of Donbass and Luhansk. What was the Kyrgyz... Why was the Kyrgyz government so open in its support of Russia in late February 2022? Because uh, we need to take into account dependence of uh, Kyrgyzstan from Russia. Uh, it's a big, and after that, uh, current regimes, it's uh, understanding that uh, in 2010, our organized regime change uh, in Kyrgyzstan. And uh, that's why we need to, to take into account this uh, factor. They would like to survive. They would like to uh, get uh, popular support. And uh, that's why uh, this kind of relation with uh, Russia is not surprise. It's not surprise. And uh, after that, uh, it is one uh, still unknown thing in Kyrgyzstan. It's not uh, yet very well examined. It's uh, infiltration of. Russian intelligence into the public institutions of Kyrgyzstan. It's a huge. I will tell more in detail uh, later. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I'd like to get your opinion too. Was the Kyrgyz government jumping the gun there? Were they a little too quick and in seeming to support Russia at the very, very start of the war? And, and how much of a complication, a problem was that for them when they realized that maybe they had said, maybe they appeared to be too much on the side of Russia? Yeah, I wouldn't say that maybe it was a governmental general decision as the government. It was Japarov's post on this uh, social media account. And, uh, of course, uh, what made him to do that, it could be interpreted in different ways. And one side, of course, could be that uh, he himself as a president at that time specifically had still uneasy relationship with Russia in terms of being recognized as someone who came to power to be the leader of the country, because as many of us know that uh, since the events of uh, October 2020, Russia had certain issues with Kyrgyzstan in the way how it was dealt, and specifically with Jabarov himself. So maybe somehow that, somehow that prompted him to do something, what he thought to be, well, let's please Russia by putting this kind of statement in the social media. On the other side, I think it was mentioned in the beginning of how today talk is that at that time, many people may be expecting, well, maybe that would be a quick victory for Russia. And it's better to be the first one on the victorious side. And of course, later on that changed. And uh, I didn't think that he consulted very much with various people who could consult him on foreign policy issues. But later on, of course, as 
you know, that uh, official statement, official position of Kyrgyzstan has been slightly shifted. So Kyrgyz side through MFA statements and et cetera, they try to rectify things that we, as a country, trying to be neutral. But again, I think that there is a lot of personal thing in that what happened immediately in the first uh, days after the Russian invasion into Ukraine. Okay, thanks. Uh, and, you know, also, I, want, I also want to get your opinion on this, too, you know, because, um, like I said, the, the Kazakh foreign, then Kazakh foreign minister, Tleo Verdi, um, was clear that, that, you know, about Kazakhstan not recognizing Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, and, and then there was nothing. After the war started, nobody was commenting on this in Central Asia. Um, and when they did finally come out a couple of weeks later and start to comment on it, that they, they did speak say that they were neutral. I mean, uh, how damaging was that to Japarov to be all of a sudden jumping, you know, into the support of Moscow when, when the rest of the Central Asians weren't even going that far? Yes, um, I think I'd agree with both uh, Dr. Mishimov and uh, Dr. Tulegenov. I'd also note that uh, that episode that you're referring to when uh, Prime Minister Akilbek Japarov said uh, we were with Russia for 200 or 300 years and we're ready to, to be another 300 years. That was, uh, besides just be, being a something of a bluff uh, or gaffe, uh, with, to which Prime Minister Japarov is rather prone, uh, is also uh, at an event of some economic cooperation that uh, for Mr. Japarov, Prime Minister Japarov probably was seen as a strictly non-foreign policy, non-geopolitics sort of a setting. Uh, but I'd say uh, you should also grant that for the last, for the first two weeks after the start of the war, after February 24th, Kyrgyzstan was among all the other Central Asian countries to keep silence, essentially. The very first uh, directly, first utterances that were directly addressing the situation in Ukraine were, were rather one of let's wait and hope that peace will install, that we are not taking sides. And so directly on the situation, they were, they were just like the others, um, holding back their opinions. And President himself then early in March, I believe 9th or 10th of March, uh, spoke to the parliament where he specifically described the situation, uh, the posture of Kyrgyzstan as one of neutrality about the war. And so I'd say uh, there are, of course, very, very many ways, indications in which you can clearly see that Kyrgyzstan is more sounding lo more loyal to Russia than obviously to Ukraine or even um, than staying back from both sides compared to both Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, for example. But at the same time, when it comes to specifically and directly addressing the situation of the war in Ukraine, I think from the very beginning, the Kyrgyz government was trying to not uh, express a clear position on one side or the other. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, Bedit, okay, we understand that everyone wants to say that they're neutral. And, and as you already mentioned, too, President Japarov did not get off to a very good start in his relations with Russia. Uh, there was, you know, Putin didn't remember his name when when they met. Uh, it was a lot of hard feelings there that, and a lot of suspicion that that Moscow wasn't really pleased with Japarov being in power. But after now, the war has been going on in U in Ukraine for for months and months, and it's coming up to the Victory Day parade in Moscow in May 2023. And Japarov all of a sudden is the only one of the Central Asian leaders. Who says he's going to show up? Well, in advance, it's clear that he's going. In the end, just in the frantic 48, 60 hours before the parade, all the other four all said they were going to go. But Chaparov was going before that. Um, so everyone knew weeks in advance that he was going to be there. So what does this say about Russian-Kyrgyz relations then? I mean, they, they seem to support Russia. Then they were publicly neutral in what happened. And all of a sudden, he's he, for a while, was the only Central Asian leader and probably one of the only world leaders that was going to the Moscow Victory Day Parade. Yeah, I think it's also an interesting story, which we've been witnessing how it was unfolding with uh, <coughs> Japarov's announced visit to be the only leader of the country 
to be present there, but then joined, of course, later on by others. But uh, yeah, I think there could be different speculations. And one of them would be, well, Russia is, of course, trying to preserve and maintain its influence. And quite often it's done by trying to present itself as a peace or security guarantor, especially when there are uneasy relationships between different countries in the region. And this time, of course, what we having nowadays, not easy relationship between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. And uh, the previous Victory Day period was visited by president of Tajikistan, which I think was not very much welcomed at that time by Kyrgyzstan and uh, President Japarov. I think at some point later after that, uh, in other victory day period, he didn't visit this informal summit of uh, CIS leaders. I think that was an event and etc. So I think maybe Russia tried to play a certain balance sort of think in this kind of bilateral relation between two Central Asian countries and to present itself as someone who is trying to work with both sides. So it could be one interpretation, but of course there could be some others. Maybe it was just a first prompt and then uh, along the way there could be maybe some other advances to other leaders of the post-Soviet countries in Central Asia, including try to bring them on board for this Victory Day period this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you know, Emil, Bruce, um, If I may jump in here. Indeed, um, at the very beginning, when the whole situation started, when the war started, uh, the earliest uh, quick reaction or expectation was that Russia was going to get very busy with the war and try to talk with the rest of the world to defend its war and so would not have a lot of time for Central Asia. Very quickly, we learned that uh, Russia had most of its time for Central Asia because uh, not much else could be done by uh, by Moscow anymore. And in that situation, I think ever since the war started, we can count dozens of very high level, if not presidential, then prime ministerial, foreign ministerial level interaction. And I think at some point it's already getting somewhat futile to try to sort of keep up a scoreboard of which president has done how much of interaction with the Moscow counterparts, at what level, in under what circumstances. I think it's getting a little blurry and not so helpful at some point. I think one thing that we have to really start with is the overall very high level of uh, close t- attachment, dependency, as well as all sorts of Uh, alignments that all of these countries had with Russia under different international or regional sort of settled uh, schemes and organizations. It was slightly different, but still all countries were very close to Russia. So in a way, I think we're really talking not so much about uh, countries being more loyal or less loyal with Russia, but rather degrees of their success to, uh, in which they've been trying to maintain a distance with Russia, a safe distance with Russia. And Kyrgyzstan has been doing as much as it can, considering the level of uh, rather different sorts of capacities, both in terms of foreign policy, in terms of being able to withstand a sudden shock were such a thing to come, compared to both Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, for example. So this situation, I'd say, yeah, the neutrality that has been uh, declared and the many decisive moments on international diplomatic arena when Kyrgyzstan and the other countries were not raising their hands in on the side of Russia, when Russia would very much want that, I think is quite indicative of them really doing a lot to keep that distance, to not uh, join Russia in its war. Okay, um, Bikit, I want to get to you because uh, you were talking about may, uh, Yes, please. Bikit, go ahead. I think uh, in, in any uh, regime in Kyrgyzstan in years to come, they'll uh, be uh, reckoned with the situation and uh, a statement that uh, Kyrgyzstan is neutral to conflict and war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, it's, it's a hollow statement because Kyrgyzstan cannot be neutral. Kyrgyzstan uh, would like to keep a positive and beneficial relations with Russia. And the uh, relations with Russia, uh, economical, financial, geopolitical, are much more important than uh, relations with Ukraine. 
you know, uh, the considerations with the defeat of Ukraine or victory Ukraine uh, to some uh, extent will influence to the state of affairs of Kyrgyzstan. It's very abstract for, for politicians in uh, Kyrgyzstan, but Politicians in Kyrgyzstan and authorities should uh, consider the following uh, objective and important uh, things uh, in relation with Russia. Largest Kyrgyz diaspora in Russia. Kyrgyz people continue to go to Russia despite the difficulties, trying to, you know, to uh, create better opportunities for themselves. Uh, if you uh, go to Russia and uh, in Moscow and State Petersburg, our large cities in uh, some uh, districts, you can see uh, entire Kyrgyz uh, communities, communities. And that's why that's in, uh, important. After that, Kyrgyz traders, Kyrgyz business people trying to get benefits from uh, this uh, situation as in Russia, uh, given the sanctions of Russia, trying to avoid to help and to uh, make a beneficial trade for uh, themselves. And in uh, at the beginning of this uh, um, program, you mentioned that uh, Kyrgyz companies uh, are sanctioned by the United States. Actually, these are not Kyrgyz companies. They just happen to be open in Kyrgyzstan. And uh, that's why it is so important to investigate the origin of these uh, companies and, uh, and further to uh, provide more uh, details. That's why I think that for Kyrgyzstan, it is essential and even existentially important to keep positive and constructions with uh, relation with Russia, and but diplomatically uh, using this kind of definitions and as uh, Emil Juraev said, to keep in the uh, right distance uh, from this uh, war. Uh-huh. I, I, I like your point too about Kyrgyzstan and, and it's, it's some dependencies that, that on Russia that you just can't break at all. Um, I, I'd like to look at it from the Russian perspective. I mean, they, they, need, they have a, a military base in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, Russia owns the, the gas company. Uh, working in Kyrgyzstan, they are the leading su- supplier, of course, of oil and, and petrol to Kyrgyzstan. But now, now Russia doesn't have many allies. Has Kyrgyzstan gained a new importance as an ally in Central Asia? Is there something, and is there a unique feature about its relationship with Kyrgyzstan that makes it important for Moscow to keep good ties with Kyrgyzstan? Uh, Bakit, I'll start with you. Uh, yes, for Moscow, it's important to keep because, uh, you know, you mentioned about the uh, A-base in Kant in Kyrgyzstan, and it is uh, uh, in a uh, very much connected to a military base in T- Tajikistan. For Russia to keep uh, its military presence in these two countries and afterward to extend its uh, presence to entire Central Asia is uh, vitally uh, important. And uh, after that, Russia continues to invest in Kyrgyzstan, constructing schools, and in the case of emergency, Russia is still capable to change regime in Kyrgyzstan. And that's why uh, politicians and current regime in Kyrgyzstan were clearly understanding and, and trying to keep. After that, uh, you know, uh, nobody examined the situation in the Committee of uh, uh, State Security. Uh, for instance, uh, there are no answers to the question. How many senior uh, uh, members of this uh, committee graduated Academy of Russian Intelligence and uh, how they are closely connected to them? To whom they are loyal? To Kyrgyzstan or to Russia? And so on. Uh, that's why, um, of course, uh, Sadr Japarov and Kamchibit Tashiv were uh, forced to reckon with this uh, situation. Uh, it's no surprise for me that they uh, decided to put in a secrecy the uh, uh, information about uh, how many and who among Russian citizens got Kyrgyzstan citizenship recently. And who are the representatives of these companies who were sanctioned by the United States and so on? They will uh, not release this information uh, in years to come because they are understanding that they, uh, uh, they are very limited in their ability to control this situation. They are out of their control. 
Okay, thank you. Um, we're about at the, at the midway point. So uh, let me remind that we're talking about developments in Kyrgyz-Russian relations since the Kremlin launched its full-scale war in Ukraine. And my guests are Emil Joroyev, PhD and independent political observer, uh, Medit Tuleogenov, a senior research fellow at the American University of Central Asia in Bishkek, and Bakit Bashima, former, formerly a member of the Kyrgyz Parliament, uh, Kyrgyz ambassador to India and to the OSCE, and currently a global studies and international relations lecturer and professor at Northeastern University. Before we move away too much from, uh, from the foreign policy, um, aspect, I'm curious, um, and Medit, I guess I'll start with you. You know, when, when there was the, the Wagner group mutiny, President Putin got in touch with the Kazakh president and got in touch with the Uzbek president, but did not get in touch with any of the other presidents, including President Chaparov. Uh, any significance to that? Any thoughts on why just Uzbek and Kazakhstan and not Kyrgyzstan? It's difficult to say what would be the priority list on this kind of an issue. But, uh, well, seemingly... Looking from the internal Russian perspective, that's uh, something which could be viewed as not necessarily the direct shattering the regime and personal safety of Putin himself, but rather how it will be resonated and viewed in, within Russia as well as uh, among uh, various allies, which are not so many left for Russia. And seemingly maybe in this perspective, uh, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan viewed to be more important. And... Uh, I don't know the whole list whom Putin has been contacting in those specific day and days, but uh, perhaps in the segment of uh, post-Soviet or Central Asian maybe countries, uh, it was decided that uh, these two countries would be enough as suffice to to deal with. And especially, of course, Kazakhstan has a adjacent long border with Russia. And uh, when it comes to possibility of uh, this mutiny to destabilize many things within Russia and with neighboring state, of course, the neighboring state is uh, Kazakhstan, the first and foremost, which should come to mind, I think, in Kremlin. And I think the next on the list logically may come Uzbekistan, but I think that's how it perhaps went. Okay, thanks. And Emil, kind of the same question. The, the three leaders that, that Putin spoke with on the day of the Wagner mutiny, when they were actually the Wagner troops were headed toward Moscow. So were uh, Lukashenko, which is totally understandable in Belarus. Uh, you know, and like I said, then, then Takayev and, and Mirzoyev, and that was it. Now, Kyrgyzstan is a member of the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Uh, it, you know, met it, uh, said, spoke well about why Kazakhstan, because it, it borders Russia, a 7,800-kilometer-long 7, border. Uh, Kazakhstan is a member of the Collective Security Treaty Organization also, but why not, you know, then, then why not call some of the other members, Kyrgyzstan, for instance? Yes, I think uh, when he was frantically uh, looking for his options, Putin calls those three presidents, uh, not really looking for optics, for PR or anything. He was actually looking for, for real help. He was probably trying to discuss uh, whatever options he, ha- he could have or he could count on with those presidents. And as far as we can learn from, from those talks, at least both Kazakhstan's and Uzbekistan's presidents gave rather cold shoulder. Uh, they didn't commit to anything uh, to him. And once he got those answers, I think Kyrgyzstan's president was not much of an interest anymore. So if he were only looking for some diplomatic show that somebody was in support of him, probably he would give a call to Sadr Japarov as well. But in terms of being able to actually give some real support, some shelter or or maybe lend some troops, of course, Kyrgyzstan is uh, nowhere in that rank. And well, in that in the in that very day, I think uh, President Jabarov was just as happy not to get that call, and so I, I'm not surprised. And of course, uh, on the other side, also just like Medet was mentioning earlier on, Sadr Jabarov very uh, recently was not among uh, trusted allies of President Putin. He was not even welcomed early on. So, uh, and compared to whom? Of course, both Mirziyoyev and Tokai were much more kid spirits for Putin. Uh, so I'm not surprised that he would call them. Uh, of course, not surprising that Lukashenko was uh, the first to speak to. Okay, thanks. Let's move on to some of the recent developments, which which really look like old, the old colonial master. Um, 
you know, one, the language, you know, saying that, that everyone that's going to do business in the Kyrgyz government when it's official business has to be able to speak Kyrgyz language. And then the parliament has to conduct its sessions in Kyrgyz language. All that Russia took a lot of offense to that all of a sudden. Uh, there was a before it was adopted. They were complaining about it and saying that it was discriminatory uh, and they couldn't understand why it wasn't happening. And then, of course, you have these these two young Kyrgyz men who served um, with the Wagner forces. I think both of them did uh, in Ukraine. And they came back to Kyrgyzstan and they were imprisoned because the Kyrgyz government has warned its citizens not to join in this conflict. And it was a lot of criticism from Russia, uh, both, you know, and, and with both those issues, there was criticism a lot of nay. And, and it's coming back after the fact, after the second guy was imprisoned, after the language law was adopted, there was another wave of criticism about Kyrgyzstan. Now, what, what does this say about the situation with, with Russian Kyrgyz relations? I mean, is this still the old colonial master trying to scare Kyrgyzstan? Bakit, I'll start with you. Regarding Kyrgyz uh, uh, language, uh, you know, the uh, current regime is a populist regime and uh, like to get uh, the uh, popular support, and that's why we made this uh, kind of uh, decision. Uh, but uh, objectively, it is a right decision to uh, support uh, Kyrgyz language and uh, to not tie the development of Kyrgyz language to uh, Russian language. Of course, after getting the criticism from Kremlin, uh, the words of uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs Lavrov, Kyrgyzstan reacted, uh, in my opinion, more reasonably uh, to that, saying that uh, uh, support of Kyrgyz uh, language is not uh, against Russian, which uh, is uh, uh, official language of uh, Kyrgyzstan. Uh, you know, I don't see here a big uh, problem. Russia in that situation just wanted to show that it, it, it continues to support Russian-speaking population, especially ethnic Russians in uh, former Soviet countries. Uh, that's, that's it. That's it. And it's, uh, it is uh, already a result. Regarding the uh, presence of uh, Kyrgyz nationals in Wagner, also I think it was the right decision to uh, just... Uh, take actions against the participation in this uh, criminal organization uh, but it wasn't against Russia it, uh, it, 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 is, uh, it was an act of um, uh, just uh, trying to prevent our Kyrgyz nationals from joining to this uh, organization uh, because uh, uh, you know it can in the future create some uh, problems for Kyrgyzstan uh, itself, uh, and that's why in both situations, with regard to language and participation in Wagner uh, group and uh, imprisoning of these members, I see the reasonable attitude of a Kyrgyz government. Okay, thanks. Uh, Emil, you, you're in Bishkek, um, and you were there when, when, the, when the Kremlin was making these kind of criticisms about what's happening in Kyrgyzstan. How was that received uh, there in Bishkek and in other places of the country? Well, I, I think uh, most of the people who understand the situation uh, have an idea of what's going on in Russia and in Ukraine were very supportive of the decision to hold these citizens accountable under the law. Uh, very helpfully, uh, very wisely, I think, very early on, uh, back in, I think, at least in March, maybe even February 2022, uh, Kyrgyz authorities, including the embassy in Moscow, uh, issued a warning, a reminder to citizens of Kyrgyzstan uh, in Russia against joining uh, the military uh, activities, military uh, formations of Russia, or, or any side, they didn't call it Russia, reminding that there is a criminal liability to that uh, under this uh, charge of joining a third party, uh, criminal formations or whatever, uh, however you put it. And now when these two citizens were returning from uh, serving those uh, operations under Wagner Group and were then back in Kyrgyzstan, I think they were automatically liable under that law. Now, the law was not produced or written after the start of these operations, of this war. It was a long-existing law that also exists in Kazakhstan, in Uzbekistan, not sure about Russia, probably uh, even more so. 
So under the existing law, if that was if the charge were not brought, then we would of course uh, be welcoming to see an avalanche, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds of citizens who would then be coming out as veterans of the Wagner Group or whatever else. So I think it was a very important thing for Kyrgyzstan from early on. I think the danger, the risk of Kyrgyz citizens possibly joining the uh, the battlefield especially on the part of Russia, was already understood as a very potentially serious problem. A problem that, besides just uh, compromising Kyrgyzstan's not taking sides and maintaining a neutrality, would also uh, entangle the country in having to deal with all of these uh, liabilities, with explaining what the citizens are doing there, and so on. So I think it was a very important thing to maintain this. So again, I agree that Possibly this is not a political act of disapproval of the war that Russia is waging, but certainly uh, to maintain a clear line that citizens of Kyrgyzstan must respect uh, under the existing Kyrgyz law. And But besides that, on a larger scale, I'd say the war has unleashed a rather serious uh, process of colonial or decolonial awareness certainly not very widespread so far among the population in Kyrgyzstan, but it's spreading wider and wider as we go, and it's getting more serious. And again, I think a lot of people who understand the intricacies of this whole issue make it very sure that we are really not talking at this point about putting blame at the doors of Russia or at Russia today or Russia 19th century or whenever, but rather to dare to learn our history, our past, without the censorship, without the filtering that has happened for most of the historiography that still is in play today. And that has been possibly one of the most important imports of the war in Ukraine for Kyrgyzstan, just as much as for Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan and others as well. And uh, I would see uh, this process of discussing the language. It's not just about the adoption of the law and language, but really at the grassroots level among the people, this greater emphasis, greater stress on speaking Kyrgyz, on uh, getting greater currency for Kyrgyz in public space is very much part of that awareness, part of that more critical awareness of what Russia has been, what our relations with Russia have been over time. Uh, let me follow up. Russia said they'll take both those guys that are in prison. Um, can you imagine Kyrgyzstan? Russia said we'll give them citizenship. They can come here and live. Can you imagine Kyrgyz government? Think, indeed. Uh, I was asked that question by uh, some if not Russian affiliated people. So I thought uh, that would be an, an absolutely unacceptable thing. Of course, when these two guys serve their prison sentences or whatever the courts uh, issues gave, gave them. One of them is already given te- a 10 year uh, prison term. Once that is over, I think they're free to, of course, uh, uh, relinquish their Kyrgyz citizenship and adopt the Russian citizenship. But at the moment, they committed a crime under the Kyrgyz law and they were a Kyrgyz citizen at that time. And they cannot simply excuse themselves when they found themselves liable in Kyrgyzstan. In that situation, you ask a question about uh, why Kyrgyzstan is so concerned by uh, the participation of Kyrgyz nationals in the Wagner group. Uh, it is, uh, to some extent, connected to the uh, attitude of Kyrgyzstan to the militants uh, of Kyrgyz nationals in Syria or our places. Kyrgyz authorities uh, think that uh, this kind of people returning to Kyrgyzstan can create internal problems. Uh, security problems for Kyrgyzstan. And that's why trying to prevent the uh, participation of Kyrgyz nationals in that situation. It's more about internal security than about the relation between Russia and Kyrgyzstan. Uh-huh. uh-huh. No, this is a good point. This is a good point. Better, have pe- better to keep your population um, or the number of people in your population that are competent in military matters to a bare minimum, I suppose, so it doesn't boomerang on you. Okay, well, minute while we're waiting for Emil to get back on, um, we'll get back to the question I ask you, is, is that, uh, you know, the, with Russia's criticism of the, of the lang- adoption of the language, 
rules, I suppose. Um, we'll call it. Um, and, and you know, the criticism over Jalen, these two guys, is that, is that a, um, is this a serious problem in Kyrgyz Russian relations? Is this a sign that they're, they're strained or is this one of those things that they're just going to move right past and two or three months down the road, no one will even be talking about it. I think maybe it wouldn't be a big problem because seemingly it's something which uh, Russia just plainly does generally, not specifically targeting Kyrgyzstan because uh, for its internal audience, of course, they should maintain that uh, Russia, as uh, was mentioned already before by our speakers, that uh, they are trying to support Russian-speaking people outside of Russia. And that's a politics as usual. And especially in the midst of this uh, war, which they call a special military operation, of course, they're trying to show that Russia is continuing to do the same things, which it, it has been doing before. And I think that's uh, quite a big message, which they're trying to send to their own audience. But also, I think it's also important in the sense that with this war in Ukraine, of course, uh, Russia understand that uh, the only foothold they have generally in terms of maintaining its uh, sort of imperial interest, its uh, Central Asia and Kyrgyzstan in particular. And in that sense, maybe having uh, this symbolic, but to some extent not necessarily symbolic thing like a uh, presence of Russian language in uh, official space in a country like Kyrgyzstan, it's generally maybe important for Russia. But uh, I think this episode of with the acceptance of the law in Kyrgyzstan, maybe it's just a certain maybe a show off for Russia. Maybe it's a temporary thing. So I wouldn't think that it will have a big and long-lasting repercussions generally for Russia in terms of ongoing relationship with, with, with Kyrgyzstan. And uh, given whatever policies uh, country has in regard to Russian language and generally developing this kind of uh, policies is area, perhaps nothing threatening generally for Russia's interests. Although, as Emil was mentioning, of course, there's a growing uh, so-called decolonization discourse, which is happening in some parts of society, mostly in social media and so forth. But uh, I wouldn't say that it's very much a damaging interest of Russia. And Russia understand that, well, it's good maybe to, at some point to show its own disagreement with certain things in terms of signaling something to Kyrgyz government and to its own audience, but uh, not maybe going too far in this direction, because anyway, Kyrgyzstan remains to be on this uh, so-called uh, soft policy or soft power related issues like having language policies and presence of Russian language. Uh, Kyrgyzstan is the only, not the only, but uh, one of the few remaining places where Russia can present something as a sort of a, a certain uh, level of influence which it can have outside of uh, its own territory. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and then... Uh... In that regard, uh, uh, I think uh, Emil Jurayev turned our attention to a very uh, important uh, thing, that Russia is still missing uh, some significant uh, domestic developments in Central Asian countries, and, uh, including Kyrgyzstan. It's a, a decolonization process, and that, uh, especially new generation uh, represents uh, trying to speak it their native language. And the number of ethnic Russians uh, in uh, Kyrgyzstan and other countries uh, is shrinking, and uh, that's why uh, Russia does not pay attention uh, to that kind of development and trying to impose their uh, will on these countries, uh, just using obsolete uh, approaches uh, to this uh, country. It is objective processes, and uh, if this decolonization process will get more significant in all these countries, and the number of Russians will uh, decrease uh, uh, in a decade uh, to come, uh, of course, influence of Russia will be weaker and weaker. And uh, it is uh, some kind of uh, obsolete attitude to, to and uh, it is inability to understand domestic developments in the uh, countries. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. You know, the the next next to last question. We'll get to the the end in a second here, but it might be a coincidence. But at the same time that that they you know Russia has been criticizing Kyrgyzstan, all of a sudden Kyrgyzstan Kyrgyz officials are announcing these big hydropower deals with China. Uh, now you know some of these deals are are uh, are projects are projects that um, Russia was had shown interest in off and on in the past. Uh, but but now you know if you listen to Akobek Japarov and other Kyrgyz officials, the Chinese are about to build you know several 
hydropower plants that Kyrgyzstan has been trying to have built ever since they became independent, but they're going to, they're going to do it now. Is there any coincidence to the timing um, that, you know, Russia's criticizing Kyrgyzstan and all of a sudden here comes China? Uh, it, it certainly seems to serve the interests of the Kyrgyz government to show that they have a neighbor, another neighbor who's now willing to invest billions more dollars into Kyrgyzstan at a time when Russia is criticizing Kyrgyzstan for the language law and, and imprisoning these two guys for serving in the Wagner group. Any thoughts on that? Uh, Bakit, I'll start with you. In that situation, uh, we should take into account relations of Russia and China. Of course, uh, knowing uh, about these uh, relations, how vital Russia to be uh, to keep positive relations with China. And in that situation, given uh, limited opportunities uh, for investment from R- Russia, uh, Kyrgyzstan trying to use uh, this China uh, to uh, upgrade its infrastructure. But uh, how China will invest and what uh, will happen in years to come, we don't know. We don't know. Personally, I am not happy with this fact that China is going to construct this uh, system of uh, hydroelectric power stations in Kyrgyzstan uh, because the latest uh, flood in China uh, demonstrated uh, how this kind of, you know, shining infrastructure can be weak and can collapse easily. And uh, considering the level of uh, corruption on both sides, we can say that uh, this infrastructure will not uh, bring expected uh, uh, results, as uh, Kyrgyz authorities already uh, announced. And uh, uh, I think that Kyrgyzstan tried to maneuver uh, between two states and to use these opportunities in order to, you, you know, uh, get uh, resources for its uh, development. I don't see here uh, some kind of uh, conflict uh, between Kyrgyzstan and Russia uh, uh, due to the uh, growing relations with China and uh, coming investments from China. Uh, Moscow is still uh, looking positively to this kind of relations of Kyrgyzstan with China and will not push Kyrgyz authorities to limit its uh, cooperation with China. It's not in the interest of uh, Russia to do it. Okay, thank you. Um, Emil, I'm going to give you the same question. You know, all of a sudden, after this after Russia launches its full-scale war on Ukraine, all of a sudden the Chinese show a lot of interest in, in building this, you know, China, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan railway that's been on the table for years and years. Uh, and now they're interested in building on these hydropower projects too. Um, is, is, I know that this is one of the over debated topics, but is China actually moving in at the expense of Russia? And is Kyrgyzstan using Chinese investment as, as send, a way to send a message to Moscow that it has other friends? This is not so much the case of Kyrgyzstan leveraging its new opportunities with China uh, as opposed to uh, as a way to oppose or you know turn away from Russia. I think it's more Russia in its war becoming certainly weaker, a weaker having a weaker bargaining position, and China indeed slowly, gradually, but moving in to a greater presence, greater influence in Central Asia. And it's not so much about uh, Kyrgyzstan and Russia uh, having exchanging those not so uh, pleasant diplomatic overtures in the very recent period. It's really just uh, the atmosphere, uh, the situation where Russia is fighting a war, a very unsuccessful and very ill-advised war. And it depending on Chinese uh, good position uh, or good rapport with China and needing every ally it can maintain, including Kyrgyzstan. And indeed, the railroad, China-Kyrgyzstan-Uzbekistan railroad, was something that we thought all along was opposed by Russia. And literally, President uh, Sadr Japarov even said in the public statement that he openly spoke to President Putin about the railroad and got an okay from him. Now, the hydropower stations uh, infrastructure, especially the Sarajaz River cascade, was, if I'm not mistaken, was in fact 
discussed with China some one decade ago or something, and it was specifically opposed by Russia. Now, so that is certainly a change of a uh, of the of how the wind is blowing. So I'd say I think in Kyrgyzstan, just like in the rest of the Central Asian space and region, I think we should we should be watching a shifting geopolitics. A geopolitical balance where uh, certainly China has a much greater leverage over this region and Russia does not have the capacity to oppose, to balance, to block uh, those sorts of infrastructure projects. Okay, thanks. Uh, and we are at the end, so I'm going to ask my last question, um, and I want you all to give your answer. And at the same time, I invite you to give it, uh, make any other comments you think are, are relevant to this discussion, uh, that uh, questions I might have missed. Um, but so, it's a simple question. Are Kyrgyz-Russian relations better, worse, or the same since the war in Ukraine started? Medit, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it's difficult to say that it's changed towards worse or better. I would rather maybe stick to possibility that it's the same in a way that uh, it's difficult to undo something which has been built over decades of the post-Soviet policies within, between Kyrgyzstan and Russia. And uh, just the war itself may be affected and gives a certain background backdrop on which this relationship which has been already existing for a long period of time, they're evolving nowadays. And uh, I think the Kyrgyzstan, as many other countries, of course, on one side, as we discussed, they dependent on Russia in many ways, in terms of economy, security. And of course, uh, there could be different things which Russia can do in terms of punishing for misbehavior, and etc. But on the other side, there, of course, relationship with Russia at some point becomes toxic. We're talking about the economic sanctions, about the possibility which is seemingly becomes more and more evident of a deep economic crisis and etc. Et and to what extent Russia may become uh, dependent and uh, reliable party in the sense of uh, where Kyrgyzstan may still derive many benefits economically and etc. Even though Russia nowadays remains in the top countries in terms of uh, trade, economic relations and so forth and so forth. So in that sense, I think the war may be affected different nuances, how the rhetoric in terms of foreign policy is being constructed in certain uh, policy actions that have been taking place as we discussed. And also, as was mentioned also by Emil in previous uh, part of our discussion, it's about this maybe tipping balance in the geopolitics as well. I think that's uh, something which may affect the way how how the relationship between Kyrgyzstan and uh, Russia will evolve. Of course, the role of China is quite important. It's yet to be seen what would be the West's big West policies towards the region, because so far they preoccupied with war in Ukraine directly, and etc. But I think this uh, change in the balance regarding geopolitics would also develop a certain landscape along which we can see how the bilateral relation between Russia and Kyrgyzstan may slowly change. But I think it's a matter of uh, not necessarily near future. But again, it will also, just a final point on my side, will depend on how war will unfold and how damaging and how quickly damaging it will be on Russia's uh, resources and capacity, on which Russia, of course, quite often utilizes to build relationships with countries like uh, like Kyrgyzstan. Okay, thanks. Uh, Emil, Kyrgyz-Russian relations. Better, worse, or, or the same since the U war in Ukraine started? Well, it depends on uh, better or worse for whom, right? <laughs> I think I can say one thing. Kyrgyzstan has become less exclusively or less heavily uh, attached and dependent on Russia than it used to be before the war started. Uh, ever since the war started, Kyrgyzstan has developed a more a uh, robust relationship with the neighboring countries, a more robust relationship with Turkey, with China, certainly, and it has been seeking more relationships with others as well. And with Russia specifically as well, if in the uh, all this period before the war, it was all about being nice, it was all about... Uh, sort of uh, being um, pleasing or appeasing to each other. I think since the war started, Kyrgyzstan has been able to make the kinds of acts and steps that were not so welcomed by Russia. Just And such acts were done because Kyrgyzstan needed so. Just like with those imprisoned uh, Wagner fighters or the adoption of the law, 
and many other things, or votes at the UN General Assembly when Russia would rather like uh, uh, votes outside of Russia and Kyrgyzstan, just like the other uh, Central Asian countries, mostly abstaining from voting. So in all of these, I think the, these two years have been really a period of a more diversified, a more opened up sort of relationship uh, record between Kyrgyzstan and Russia. Okay, thank you. Uh, but Keith, you get the last word. Uh, uh, Russian relations. Yes. Uh, I think uh, um, relations between these two countries naturally decline. It's less significant uh, becoming uh, less uh, substantial. Because of uh, shift of Russia from a regional approach to uh, individual approach. Russia today is focusing uh, politically more on Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, taking into account uh, the role of these two states. And uh, for, Kyrg- for Russia, Kyrgyzstan is a territory from which uh, Companies opened by the Russian intelligence would like to uh, avoid sanctions. And uh, after that, we can see the obvious uh, some things. Uh, Russian military base in Kyrgyzstan is not upgrading. Russia cannot uh, financially uh, support it. Even the plans to uh, develop uh, more uh, naval base in Isikul, our uh, Russian military infrastructure in Kyrgyzstan today is uh, not uh, possible due to the, you know, difficulties, uh, financial uh, difficulties of uh, Russia. That's why it's naturally uh, declining. And after that, it's uh, some domestic uh, trends in Kyrgyzstan. Decolonization process pushing uh, authorities uh, to uh, focus more on nationalistic uh, approach. And uh, that's why, uh, of course, Kyrgyzstan will shift in slowly away from Russia, becoming its uh, uh, focusing on its own issues. But, uh, you know, uh, presence of uh, uh, Kyrgyz diaspora in Russia, military base of Russia in Kyrgyzstan, and after that, uh, some uh, political and geopolitical consideration of uh, Kremlin and Kyrgyz authorities uh, keep these relations intact. But it's obviously declining. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you, Medit. Thank you, Bakit. And thank you, Emil. And a big thanks, as always, to uh, Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjolis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can, you can subscribe to the Medjolis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. That's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.